Hello and welcome to the Andyplex, the podcast where we talk about movies we love with creatives. And this is episode 24, The Wrath of Concast. Joining me today remotely, as I am vacationing in my home state of Delaware, is returning Andyplex alum, Paul Gonzalez. Filmmaker and film buff, he and I have become fast friends in the past year plus. Upon realizing that Wrath of Khan turned 40 this year, I knew I needed an episode, and fellow Star Trek fan. Paul Gonzalez is a massive Trekker, but he knows the original series, or TOS, like I've never seen before. So I knew he was the perfect man for the job. Well, anyway, Paul, it's so good to have you back, man. Um, this is your second episode. Um, we did the James Bond episode, No Time to Podcast, where we talked about No Time to Die and Daniel Craig and his legacy. And I'm currently almost done your copy of Casino Royale, the book. Oh, that's right. You read it on the plane. I love it. Um, so we could talk about that instead for two hours if you wanted. But today we have the honor and privilege to talk about one of our favorite movies and favorite franchises, oh. Star Trek. Andy, I just, I right off the bat, I don't want to gush, but I just forgot how good it really is. I know. On so many levels. I mean, it's, it, would there even be the way we look at Star Trek now without the changes that were made in Wrath of Khan? I know. One of the things I didn't, I didn't realize no. is that Harv Bennett was the really the crusader for making it more militaristic, mm. like right down to the terminology and the uniforms and stuff like that. And right, very Navy. More along the lines of a Navy kind of procedural. And I think a lot of that spilled over into Next Generation. Were mm. it not for Wrath of Khan, I don't think TNG would have been as, a lot of the things I love about TNG probably wouldn't be there, that they kind of started with Wrath of Khan. I agree. Uh, yeah, and I, I'm. I will echo what you said Im- immediately and and wholeheartedly. In that, it's one of those things where I don't. I don't remember a time when this movie didn't exist. I saw it very, very, very young. I've been obsessed with Star Trek since about age seven. I'm 38 now, so most of my life I don't really remember not liking it. I remember watching Next Generation growing up as a family. Next Gen is my favorite. Uh, so I kind of use that as my compass to orient everything else, but I'm a massive TOS fan and you, sir, are probably the world's expert in TOS, in my opinion. You, you know, the episode names, you know, the actors names, you've brought up things that were referenced in the new shows, which we get to watch on Thursday nights. Thanks for coming to watch Strange New Worlds and Discovery and Picard and well, everything you said about TNG, I could say about TOS. Yeah. I don't remember a time when there wasn't Star Trek in my life. My earliest mm-hmm. memories are watching Star Trek with my father in syndication. It was on at like four o'clock in the afternoon. Um, I, I think I think on NBC there was two episodes. Um, oh, cool. Two I'm, I'm old enough to remember when TNG premiered. You know, I was probably, thir- let's see, I was probably 13 years old um and i remember thinking it was really strange who's the bald guy (laughs) where's Uh, kirk (laughs) but instant you know instantly liking it you know not to get too far off but obviously encounter at far point had its problems but you could always see a good cast in there oh you knew i i I think you knew right away i i wasn't watching it until so i was born in 84 so the show was on i was three and but by its third season i want to say definitely by the third or definitely by the fourth season we were watching it week to week as a family and then yeah i'm just running home after school and watching it and i'd watch them <laughs> over and over and over and over um but yeah i think what you said was was right on that wrath of khan which is a sequel but in so many ways really is one isn't um, it so funny that it's which is so hilarious easy to think of it as the first movie it really is it feels yeah. like such a first it feels like such a first, and I think it is. And the DNA of Star Trek really was rewoven and respun. And what you said about the military stuff, I actually learned a lot by doing homework for today. Mm-hmm. And um, so I don't want to—I don't want to redouble anything that you're saying. But I learned so much about Wrath of Khan in the last just couple of weeks, and I thought I knew it front and back. And 
I knew about Nicholas Meyer and his contribution, but I, I found some really juicy interviews with him where he talked about how I, what I didn't realize is how many like scripts they had and they had like three different ideas and, and it uh, wasn't like, it wasn't three different drafts and they're like, they changed a little here and there. It was like three totally different. And then Nick I, Meyer was like, let me yeah. take what I like and let me just take what I like of things. And then give me, give me like, give me like two weeks. And, uh, I basically hammered out like a more or less what it would it landed on later. And they did some revisions and whatnot, but there was a lot of clashing going on with Gene Roddenberry, who is still alive and <laughs> he was no longer the producer anymore. So he kind of had to become more of the, like, just get his blessing and, and move on. But apparently right. he hated all the Navy stuff. Yeah. He was the visionary. And he and they always clashed with the military stuff that you're talking about, which is what I didn't realize, because to me, it always felt like pretty naval, pretty like military. And we're dealing with not military in the sense that we're warlike and we're about peace and whatnot, but military in the sense that it was very there was ranks and it's a ship and there's a captain, there's an XO and, right. you know, they, they go places, there's away missions. There's officers, there's crew, there's a right. hierarchy. Yeah, there's um, a hierarchy and chain of command, which is very much rigid and, and unrelenting. Um, and also this franchise deals with an expanding humanity or expanding, you know, the UN or the Federation is the UN essentially, but we're, we're moving and moving and moving and expanding. And as we do, we have to have organization within that expansion and the kind of push and pull therein. But yeah, when I watched Rathacon again, it's it's funny, like the things that you just, like you said, you're just given and you just don't even think about because it's so ingrained. But like the little whistle. Uh, the boat swain, know. yeah, it's a boat swain's whistle. The boat swain, yeah, very naval, very military. Um, well, the interview that I found was with, uh, was with um, Harv Bennett. And he talked about how in, in the process of trying to get Nicholas Meyer what he wanted, was what he really wanted to see was a dogfight in space. Right. He's like, I don't know what we're going to do here. He's a real big fan of, of um, the adventures of Horatio Hornblower. Nicholas yeah, Ma he mentioned that. Yeah. A real big opera guy in general. So he wanted right. this big operatic fight. So it's like, how do we make a dogfight in space without some sort of like framework to build it around? It's like you can't have you have to have somebody saying, you know, hard right rudder and, you know, load the torpedo bays and all that kind of stuff. Can't have a dogfight without all that stuff. So I think it kind of reverse engineered like I want to see this. So how how do we get him what he wants to that point? Yeah. And because yeah, on said, the original show, um, on the original show, I mean, yeah, we're seeing a lot of the, the remastered now if you're watching the remastered on online um, and they do a great job, I think. Uh, but they just didn't have the tech there. The ship didn't really go to warp. It didn't really like, go. it just moved forward. It, 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 it just whooshed by. It didn't actually like go to warp. And then, yeah, the fighting. And you would be lucky if you even saw the alien ship a lot of the time. They well, when, the, when, the, when the photon torpedo hits the Romulan ship, it's like a little rotoscoped flash of light. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Not, not, not very exciting, but. Not very exciting. I mean, honestly, they got, they did so much with, such little budget budgets back then and they were really re reinventing the wheel and anyway that's a whole nother can of worms but in wrath of khan so many things were done like you said that set the the precedent and they wanted to see these ships fighting and i was listening to another interview with the production designer Like giving him switches and knobs and more like a submarine than a space. I wonder if we I wonder if we watched the same interview because the the one master lady was talking about how the uh the, the the whoever's running the instrumentation never looks down at the instrumentation, but right. they're always looking at the screen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. They just are like they just know where everything is. You can sit down at any console and just know. You know, I always thought, and then even when they're on alien, the alien spaceship in the show, they're just like, oh, I can figure this out. Like, Speaking but, of aliens, no aliens, no aliens in Wrath of Khan. No Klingons, no Romulans. The enemy is domestic. Huh. 
You know, that, that is interesting? extremely interesting. And I did not think of that, Paul. Two, wow. ships, two Federation ships. How often right. do you see two Federation ships fighting? Not yeah. at all. That's and interesting. I think that makes it exciting because that that first scene where the where Khan's like, oh, we're all one big happy family. It's like, don't put the shields up. We're all, you know. And that is so menacing because they don't know what's about to happen. They think it's Captain Terrell and Chekhov and yeah. Oh my god. And oh my god. A great shot. I can mimic it with the zoom camera when Con when Kirk goes. Oh yeah. <laughs> and it's Khan, and he's like, oh my god. How does he even recognize him? That the push in look up. Yeah. yeah. That was really good. By what the way. a great. <laughs> Oh my god, it's so good. It's so good. Um, yeah, it's like I'm actually I'm just like overwhelmed by where to even start. Okay, so I actually there are you're right, there's no aliens except for um Spock and well, I mean the, the threat is not alien. The the threat is within. And this movie, another thing I thought of when I was preparing for today, but this movie is a sequel to two things. It's the second Star Trek movie. Sequel to two things, but it's also Space Seed Two, <laughs> which I thought was so cool. And I went back and I love the episode. It's such a classic episode, and you can't talk about Rathacon without talking about Space Seed. It's one of my favorite episodes of the show. I think it's probably one of the better ones. Um, Ricardo Montalban introduced, and yeah, let's talk about what this movie kind of signifies and the and the episode signifies in that. It's within, right? The enemy, not the enemy within. That's a great episode too. But the enemy of the enemy being within, but also the era. Uh, he's he's frozen. He's out of time. He represents a different time in humanity when we were like trying to push our bodies physically with genetics. And then there was the eugenics wars where we had these supermen, these ubermenches right. that were trying to like they were like dictator meets Superman, um, which I think. It has been touched on, and I know you're you're a master at knowing all the other references, and we're going to get to that too. But uh, well, not just physically such a cool superior, thing, but intellectually superior. intellectually superior wow. as well, right? Yeah. So, which gives Kirk a great villain to chew on. Which I think that was the original idea was that he would be sort of like Kirk's equal in so many things, like even right. when it came to like. Uh, uh, charm and charisma, sex appeal, things like that. That the way Kirk kind of just has an effect on women. Whether I don't know what it is that he would that that the the con character that would be one of his his strengths would be his success with women. Um, interesting, interesting. That he's basically the anti-Kirk, you know. Um, yeah, the anti-Kirk. There's I know, and, and there's so many moments where um, the episode would have been five minutes long if they were like, don't trust this guy. He's he's right. a, a relic from another time. He's he's yeah, maybe don't let him look at the tech manuals. Yeah, they're like, here's oh, everything so on the ship. Yeah, I'm so bored in this hospital bed. Can I study all the sensitive tech manuals of your ship? Right. It's maybe like, OK, maybe you shouldn't have trusted. But I think that's one of those things where it's a balance and push and pull in Star Trek between like why not leave the shields up all the time? Why why not be more ready for these these masterminds to come along? Well, A, the ship the show would be much shorter and the movies would be much shorter. But B, it's like we're on a mission of peace. The, and the, we're the communicating. Theology, yeah, it, the, the Enterprise is not a warship. They're not, you know, they're right. explorers. They're not uh and you 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 get better you get better results exploring with an open hand than you do with a closed fist, you know. So being trusting, being open, being, and it's like Khan kind of represents our dirty laundry a little bit, you know, in the sense that, yeah, we've kind of fucked up and, and these guys were our experiments. So we almost have a duty to kind of like accommodate them because, you know, we kind of created these, not monsters, but, you know, these men that would not really have a place because of their superior intellect, because of their superior strength, it, it stands to reason that they would act superiorly. Like when you look at Khan right. in the bed, Khan is completely controlling everything from a hospital bed. 
Yeah. He's controlling the cat. He's controlling the dialogue, the, the conversation between him and Kirk. He's making demands without making demands. He's not, not conniving, but he's he's manipulating. Yeah. He's manipulating the, the historian from from the get-go. Yeah. What was her name again? Who becomes his wife and then dies wife. dies in the medium between Space Seed and, and Wrath. Uh, and then he's very upset that uh, she didn't survive. Which they chronicle that in a uh, comic series called The Eugenics Wars. Oh. They touch on that a little bit. Okay. Um, I was going to say, there's so much like off the page that is just meaty and juicy. And, and that's what's so great about Star Trek. They, they light these little sparks and then... You know, whether or not they, they come back to them or, or what, but there's just so oh, much good, good, rich material. Marvel gets all this credit for creating the idea of an interconnected universe. Star Trek's been doing it for a long time. So oh, yeah, absolutely. They didn't quite do it first. And then we talked about how Bond might have been the first, right? Yeah, Did but you? I don't think the Bond movies were ever meant to be sort of interconnected. I right. Think, uh, they're all sort of standalone things. Standalone, yeah. Which, Which you know, at the time, the TV was was in that era of standalone. Um, and, you know, this this woman that was introduced, the Khan's wife, um, she just appears. It's like we, we met her before. Madeline Rue as Lieutenant Marla McGivers. Marla! Marla, yeah. And, so, her, and Kirk called her McGivers, and she corrected him and said MacGyver. So it's actually MacGyver. Oh, it's actually MacGyver, like the show. Yeah. Madeline MacGyver. Madeline yeah, that's right. MacGyver. Who, the ill-fated uh, wife of Khan that does not survive between the medium. You remember Kirk is like, what's that fucking historian's name? He's like, he can't even think. He's like, what's her name again? MacGyver's? <laughs> yeah. I remember, I remember she was on our show for on our show for one week and then we killed her. <laughs> or we never saw her again. Yeah, but it was such a great idea how she was an historian. <laughs> and so she was obsessed with this figure and history that that's what like that was her obsession but then it obviously became romantic and you know ricardo montalban's a sexy alpha man he is he i mean he's a he's a pretty pretty sexy guy i mean he's he got that, those eyes you remember the they kept shooting like real nice close-ups of his eyes and he's like yeah yeah he looks oh, great oh. um apparently i just read this recently that uh he he couldn't get the accent back after doing six years of Fantasy Island. So he asked Paramount for a copy of the episode. He asked Paramount. That was before you could just be like, oh, I've been watching on Netflix. Right. By the uh, end of the day, he had it, though. Yeah, he had it. He had it. And that, I mean, that was early video, too, back then. So what I was thinking about was how subdued Shatner's performance really was. Not subdued, but it wasn't, you know, I think... As the years go on, we all have this idea of what William Shatner's delivery is like, you know, and how he's become kind of a caricature of himself. In this fucking movie, he is doing the acting of a lifetime. Yeah. He is just... I agree. It's so good. It's not this exaggerated Shatner performance. He's, He's being Captain Kirk. He's being Admiral Kirk. And, yeah. and when you watch him and he's talking about getting older and he finds out he has a son and he's going through all of this drama, his, his, it, it, you just forget that Shatner is an amazing actor. Yeah. That he has such depth in his delivery. And um, it was Agreed. really refreshing to see. I had not seen that in a long time because Shatner's, you know, Shatner. Yeah. Uh, I know. I feel like he gets a little over made fun of personally i mean watching yeah. a lot of the there there are moments in the show where it's like a little little too ham but oh in, in the in the original series in the original that. series but i feel like more often than not even in the old show i feel like he's he's so great as kirk and i i love his kirk and you know but yeah it is kind of easy to make fun of his cadence and, and blow it out of proportion but then when yeah when you actually go back and watch it you're like that kind of killed it like yeah um but i actually watched uh an interview with Nick Meyer on Shatner and how he felt like he didn't know how to get back into Kirk as well. Uh-huh. Um, which they, they done the movie in 79, but I felt like that was such a different beast. And we talked about how different one was and how it really didn't feel like Trek. 
I we're wanted to, trying like to do something else. So much. I know. I it's my least favorite Star Trek anything. I pick it up every episodes. couple of years just to just to go just wow, to try. Just, yeah. Just to see if like because there's good stuff there. The whole idea of Voyager and all that stuff and the yeah, that's a cool idea. And there's there's cool idea. It's just so it 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 it, it flies along this straight path without any anything i know it no literally anything. flies along a straight path with on a straight like, line and then shot of helmsman either. shot of kirk shot of other captain and shot of kirk like, shot uh, of helmsman shot of and space then they find yeah. and then the movie's over i know there's, there's actually no, a lot of, there's like these famous like five minute cuts on youtube you should watch it it's great it's like oh this is a good movie if it's I've five minutes that. long <laughs> but even when the what, uh when the two people die, do you remember when the two people die in the transporter accident? Oh yeah, the transporter accident. I mean, it was, that was it's horrifying. Just like, As a kid, I was like, why? Yeah, but at the same time, you really don't feel anything because you don't even know who those people are. Yeah, you don't really know who they are. I think I was <laughs> just the horror of their scream. The scream was terrifying. I remember as a kid being like, oh, it's messed up. Never thought the transporter would backfire like that. Right. But so two resets it and retones it in and makes it about the crew again on the bridge and like right. it, uh, it's not all this extraneous stuff and it, it they actually i i read that they repurposed the bridge to be both ships the reliant and the yeah. enterprise and 60 some percent of the movie is is on the bridge and that's why it feels the most like an episode of the show and that's why they they reined it back in like this this is the dna of star trek and literally a quarter of the budget went from like a 44 million dollar movie motion picture which made money but against a very much bigger budget and then went down to 11 million so 25 percent of the budget of of one which got way out of hand and and just they tried to make it into this so star wars came out in 77 and they brought in robert wise who's an amazing director and yep. they just the elements weren't quite gelled and it really took Nick Meyer coming in and he saved Star Trek. He really did. I, I'll really say it all out. Uh, him and Harb Bennett saved F and Star Trek. They battled with Gene a little bit. There was some tug of war, but they think they got, they got it dialed in and they nailed it. And they did it for a very modest budget. And it's such a better film. It's Dude, it so much like better. It looks like a $50 million dollar movie. You watch it, it, it looks so like a $50 million dollar movie. It's a fucking $10 million dollar movie. It's a fucking $10 million dollar movie. It looks like it still holds up. It set the standard for, like you said, the fighting and the ship combat and the way the ships kind of look and, and feel. And, uh, you know, the two ships are right there talking or, or whatnot. We're on the bridge. It's about the commanders. It has that balance of terror, submarine warfare. Um, it, it, like I said, dogfighting, and it's just it's, it's great, again. man. There's you, you find the characters, and what recenter made you fall in love with the show in the first place is is the kind of the triangle of characters when 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 Kirk and Spock and McCoy when they share with each other their lives when 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 Admiral Kirk is sharing with McCoy about getting older. Mm -hmm. And McCoy's reminding him, you know, you know, you you're you're not mad about getting older. You're mad because you're you want to be out there flying spaceships around and not sitting at a desk. Um, when Spock's talking about, you know, he has that that great moment where he's like, you know, I've, I've I'll always be your friend, and he delivers it completely flatly, but you can see the emotion in his eyes. So good, and it's like. This is what people loved about Star Trek is those characters. All the explosions and V'gers and, and wormholes and everything in the world doesn't replace that. And I think someone like Nick Meyer, because I didn't realize um, how much he was in love with opera, when, and when opera is inherently melodramatic. And there's a really melodramatic quality to Star Trek. I've always thought so. Absolutely. Where it's like these, they're, 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 the stakes are like- It's larger than life. Yeah. The stakes are huge. Massive, um, yeah. But it's really just about people and their hopes and fears and doubts and and loves and hates and mm. um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's about, it's about people. Friend. It's about people. It's about people. Uh, so bringing you know when Kirk grabs Kirk grabs Marcus and goes, Where's Dr. Marcus? And he goes, I'm Dr. Marcus. Yeah. <laughs> what? And then he finds out he has a son right then and there. It's like, holy shit, that is so huge. That's so huge. 
Yeah, yeah. So, all right, there's a lot to unpack that you just you just dropped, and I think this movie is about a man getting old and finding his place. And it's great because it's a, it's about a show that was in the '60s and now we're in the '80s. Um, it's about the the villain is out of time, so I think Kirk is starting to feel a little out of time. He doesn't feel right as an admiral. He's been promoted. He's trying to find his his place again. Star Trek itself is trying to find its footing again. There's so many synchronicities, like Meta, Russian Doll, all the way down the line. It just it's so beautiful. Very true. Very true. And that's what I'm really picking up on this go. I mean, now that we're doing our homework and looking at it, like we're gonna do a podcast on it. Let's do our homework, but and not just watch it for fun because it's Saturday afternoon. But the movie's amazing and it holds up for so many reasons. But a yes, the love of opera. But knowing when to ham it up and when not to. And I actually think that uh, they nailed it, like you said. And they talked about how they would let the actor do a take, Montalban do a take. And then they were like, all right, let's bring it down a little. Instead of the other way around. So let them them explode and then rein in. And Shatner said the same thing. He said they would go up and go up and up. And then they would go down and down and down and down and down. And then they would find that kind of push and pull. Because Maltoban says if you if you blow your top right away, and Meyer Meyer and Maltoban both said this is like, if you blow your top right away, you come out of the gate swinging, and you're just like, I'm here, I'm Khan, motherfucker, you know. <laughs> then you've got no real place to go dramatically after that, in terms of directing the actor, in terms of the beats and the scene. Um, and then most often than not, it's scarier the more you rain it down, and the more you rain it down. When Khan is just so casually talking about the uh what are they called again the um the slugs the seti eels the seti eels yeah and he's just talking about them like, yeah they're, they're our pets they're just you know they're cool um, <laughs> they killed my wife and you know they uh, killed my wife and blah 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 and you're just and he's just kind of like nonchalantly like digging his hand into their tank and picking them up with the forceps and you can see the romantic part of it in his eye that that's what makes it the scariest for me not when he's yelling and quoting shakespeare or whatever uh he's just the sinisterness comes from the quiet and the subdued elements and Maltoban is kind of just the sexy debonair and playing it that route is so great and i think that's why he's such an iconic villain and there's so many moments when he really wants to get the upper, he's having a battle of wits with Kirk. So it's almost like if he shows too much emotion, if he blows his top, then Kirk knows that he got to him. Right. I yeah. can't let Kirk know that he got to me. Yeah. So I'm gonna play it cool. You know and- what's what you know what's wild and, and to, to on that on the duality between the two of them is that they actually don't share anything. They never they, right. They never were on never set together ever. Thing. Ever. Yeah. Um, which is kind of cool because you think about it from like a building the movie emotionally, it's through this view screen. So Kirk, Kirk and Connor interacting through a view screen from their, their different ships and submarines in this battle of the wits. But the fact that apparently the, like the reader, the reader who was some assistant and I don't want to knock her or whatever, I'm not going to give her a name, but apparently she was not an actor. And like, so both actors had to kind of act against just like, Somebody reading the lines kind of like Oh, they weren't feeding lines to each other? Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, Montalban, apparently uh, with his schedule with Fantasy Island, like just the timing, I don't know, X or Y, but they were like literally were never on set together. Well, sometimes the limitations of a film, and it goes back to like Jaws, um, when you're limited in your resources, it forces you to be creative. Yeah. You end up making these better choices. The tension between Khan and Kirk is so much stronger because they can't be face to face. They can't get their hands around each other's neck. They can't mm. have that big fight. You would expect there to be a fight, right? Khan and Kirk fight at the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah. Right. They fought at the end of the episode. Sure and gets ripped. Wow, like, yeah. um, but because they couldn't do that, because they had to reuse the sets and everything. I think that made the scene better. I think it made. I agree, hundred percent. Yeah, the tension. It's like in a love story when, like, the two characters finally make out. You're like, ah, oh, yay! But then, where do you go from there? You know. So it's like it's the tension, it's the buildup, it's the yes. suspense, it's the edging towards that. That is always the exciting part. 
of it. The fight at the end of Space Seed when they actually do fight and Kirk's just, you know, Kirk does those double hammer fists. <laughs> yeah. And he's just <laughs> wailing on him and Khan's like, uh, uh, like not doing anything. Khan's like, I have five times your strength. You're no match for me. But the whole time Kirk is like we getting this pipe from behind. Oh yeah, the pipe. Like, Wham! He's the like, pipe controller. Are you a thing. match for this pipe? Yeah. Hits him with a pipe and just just wailing on his back. Just, just and, getting him. Well, yeah, I think it's his hubris that uh Kirk capitalizes on in both instances. Um and 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 goats him on and you know, and it's the more I watch this movie, the more bad I feel for the rest of the crew, uh, Khan's the crew. Bay or of the- uh, <laughs> yeah, the Botany Bay folks. I'm just like, <laughs> man, they've been through so much. But that goes to show you why that era had to be a closed chapter in humanity. It's the hubris and the ego and the belief that you're that superior. His, that his is the right-hand man even says, you have a ship. You have yeah. to go where you want. You have the Genesis device. You proved your superiority over Kirk. You marooned him on a planet. Let's leave. And he's like, no, I'm not done yet. I'm yeah, gonna... I got to have my revenge. That's hubris for sure. Yeah. You got you to gotta get your white whale, you know, and the like end, the Ahab. If you watch Space Seed and realize just the gravity of what Khan actually did, they would be completely justified in throwing him in a penal colony for the rest of his life or, yeah. you know, maybe even something more severe. But I think they chose a more compassionate sort of punishment just because they, on some level, they realize, hey, you know, we fucked these people over. We gave them all this superior strength and intellect, and then we didn't give them a place to live. We didn't give yeah. them a world that they could build. So let's, instead of punishing him for what he did, let's put him out in space and have him, you know, colonize this planet. And he, I guess he failed. I mean. Yeah. Well, so this is all great, man. I, I, I love what happened was they gave him a world to conquer, which really lit up his eyes at the end of the episode when they're, when they're deciding what to do yeah. with them. And Kurt decides to, to, and then they give them the, the historian as well, who becomes the wife. Uh, but in the medium, there was an explosion where right. the next planet blows up, right? The, the Seti Alpha, Seti Alpha five, six. 6 becomes 5. Right. This is Seti Alpha 5! And uh, great line. And they didn't bother to check in. Now this, I thought, was a commentary on military expansion in a way that are colonizing and not coming back. And it, a comment on the bureaucracy and the inner connectivity of a, a large empire where nobody did bother to come back. And that was an oversight. We do it all the time. We do it all the time. We did it in the Persian Gulf. We liberated Kuwait. And what we actually did was take their resources and and then we left and we, don't, you know, all the powers that be just went back and and they're persecuting the Kuwaiti people just and like they always did, did. Did it help at all? Uh, did it? Did yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, that's we'll see. Obviously, yeah, the, the big evacuation that we just had um from from over there and how brutal it was when the military kind of took back over after the united states pulled out uh but yeah the cost the cost of military expansion which i really think d space nine really addresses you know tng we had more of the weekly it was very tos again but in d space nine we're actually in a space station that sees the long term because it's mm -hmm. we're on a space station versus a ship we're on the enemy's space station we're on the enemy space station, right. exactly. And I know you're you're currently watching Deep Space Nine right now with the podcast. Able yesterday. Oh. So I guess I'm on episode four, five. Nice man, four. that's awesome. I four. four. Yeah, I don't I don't know them as well as I know the TNG numbers and uh, memorize what what numbers what. But uh, but anyway, I think that this is such a great commentary on the military. And then we have the Genesis device, which is not a weapon innately, but it is a powerful weapon in, with the wrong hands, which is another great you know, thing that we've seen in, uh, in history. Like the atomic bomb, the people that invented the atomic bomb thought it was going to be a, a source of power and, and great energy for humanity. But Enrico Fermi had no idea that it was going to be used in such a way 
Well, and David Marcus says it, that scientists have always been pawns of the military. Yeah, I know. Yeah, when the Reliant, Reliant's coming and they're going to, uh, granted, it's they're, they're zombied out, uh, zombie check off, um, who's not even in the original episode. Neither is Sulu, which is He could have been. He could have been like. Yeah, he was there. He was like, you know, working in the engine room or he was in he was in ops or something. Yeah. No, they, I, I noticed that, um, you know, week to week that the helmsman's would really change and uh, who was at ops and con would, would rotate week to week. Maybe it was whoever. Team Commander Kyle on on the Reliant. That actor, the, the Kyle character was the transporter chief on and off through the whole original series. Yeah. And they gave him a beard. He even right. says his name. This is Commander Kyle. So they're letting the audience know we know who this guy is. Here, here's a here's a here's a nod. Fan service. Early I know. I kind of feel bad for some of those old helmsmen's and and whatnot. They didn't get the you know check off and uh, Sula get all the glory. Well, and then they switch to the stock shot, and it's the back of whoever's head. Yeah, right. They always use the same stock shot. Yeah, exactly. And then I guess like what what order they they broadcast them in? So maybe they would batch shoot with certain actors and then other actors, and then yeah. however they aired them was you know that was a whole nother thing well checkoff didn't come on till season two so right like supposed to be like a kind of a teen idol kind of a thing that yeah uh, you know, like a davy jones or a sean cassidy kind of a something somebody for the kids to put posters on their walls or whatever yeah a kid that's ki- killing it in on it yeah well anyway i still love their reaction oh my god we gotta get out of here this is steady you know this this con yeah. like oh my god this this villain um and bringing an old villain back to re-solidify, like we said, the, the DNA of the show and really build off of and to go back to a core nucleus TOS moment villain uh, was so great. A place and- where there was more story. I mean, there was more story to be told. I think Spock even says it at the end of the episode. It would be really interesting to visit this planet in 100 years or whatever. I mean, that's why they call it Space Seed. Is that yeah. planted to, a seed to see what uh what had sprouted what from the seed? What's crop? Yeah, what that's it. Sprung from the seed you planted today. Yeah, yeah. ah, so good. Um, so Khan Noonien Singh was is a Sikh, right? Or uh, it was I like an Indian, yeah. Yeah, as an Indian as an Indian man or a Sikh man, right? And if you see his kind of yellow uh, formal jacket, um, at the dinner scene. Which I actually got to wear. I don't want to labor on that too long, but uh, Wait, what? I got to literally wear it about seven, six, seven years ago. We were uh, we were doing a podcast. Adam and I did the Jew and the Gentile or Star Trek podcast for years, and we had uh, we had Alec Peters on, who did the Axonar movies, uh-huh. and he literally owned it. And he was like, "I just got this a couple days ago," and he was oh, like, "Check it out!" They're sitting in a crate in the corner. And you put it on, and it fit. It fit like it looked so good. I, I'll I'll send you the photo. I have the photo on Facebook. <laughs> it's had that musty oh, smell. I can still I can still smell Maltol Ben's uh, must on it. Anyway, I couldn't believe it when I put it on. It was very powerful emotional feeling. But yeah, it has that kind of Indian ornate uh, with the gold pleating on it, and almost like a Nehru jacket or a. But it was oh, I mean, it's open at the chest, but. Yeah, it's cut kind of yeah, like the a, open. Yeah. The open at the chest to show off his uh, massive pectorals, I which got I, bigger in the uh, in the medium. When the historian painted him, do you remember Khan sees the painting that she does of him? She was an artist um, and she did a painting of him and he had like an onion head. Yeah, and right. He looked, so the, kind of like turban. Very Indian. Yeah. Uh, and the piercing eyes and the really dark, dark skin. Yeah, which obviously looks like they they yeah. they painted him darker for the Space Seed episode, but then in in Khan they just kind of like I don't know. Well, he's, he was on like, a planet; he would have lost his luxurious tan because he lost was, <laughs> yeah, uh, he's all, the, all the all the dust storms great for twenty five years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but he didn't lose his tan while he was just sitting there for two hundred years, and, right? In in, a, in suspended animation. In suspended though. animation. Well, you know, he was suspended, so his tan his tan was also suspended. Also suspended. <laughs> Those are actually tanning beds. They yeah, well, it wasn't really like a tanning bed. It looked just like a tanning bed that he was lying in. No dust anywhere, not a cobweb in sight. I guess the, the filters were maintaining. Oh, no. Good stuff. Um, but 
When it comes to like the military, I want to keep touching on the military thread about using Genesis as a weapon, about not checking in uh, and just expanding without the upkeep. Uh, using the naval things that made it into the movie that Gene, I guess, fought tooth and nail and they were able to kind of push and pull and get in. I thought really made the movie hit harder about the cost of, of this. And we have to be vigilant. We have to have the upkeep. We have to make sure that science is used for science and not for military conquest. Um, so it's just such a, I just thought it was so well written and well put together how, you know, you have this rock with no life on it. Um, and then, you know, the culmination with the Genesis device being deployed. Um, well, even that, I mean, the idea that it wouldn't work if there was any pre-existing life. Right, not a, not a single be, microbe. Nothing. That, that would be the only way that it would destroy any pre-existing life. Yeah. The idea of it life from complete lifelessness. Right. I mean, that's almost the metaphor for any kind of, you know, tool that can be turned into a weapon. Is it has to be treated as a tool or it by default becomes a weapon. Um, right. Wow, such a genius. <laughs> Oh, and I guess the first computer-generated uh, sequence in any movie, right? That shit fucking holds up. It does. It looks that great. Fly over, and it and it the desert turns <laughs> into <laughs> this <laughs> green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The wave that overtakes the planet. That. that is amazing. Yeah, it's it's literally the first computer-generated, uh, full computer-generated sequence in any movie. And it doesn't look like computer-generated. It looks, I mean, it looks like what it's supposed to be. Yeah, it looks great. So uh, another uh, another notch on its belt. It many notches it's celebrating its 40th can you believe it it's 40 years old now oh. um god does that mean i was eight years old when i saw it Holy i know I it, it it's still oh man that's cool i didn't i was I, not, I, I was not around yet but i got to see it at uh i did see it in the theater we live in la so we were pretty spoiled what we get to see in the theater um they're always playing old stuff in the theater which is such a cool thing primarily the reason we live there now let's face it we are pretty lucky yeah we're, we're pretty lucky yeah i got to see it at the amc and uh century city uh at the mall there did they show it with any other star trek stuff yeah or no they uh they had a they had a they had an interview with um shatner in the beginning and then oh, that's pretty cool yeah but it was 35 35 millimeter print which was another treat um which we get to see a lot of and that was 82, right? So 82, 82. is a pretty good year for movies. It really, I feel like all my favorite movies came out in 82. It's wild. The Thing. The Thing. Uh, Blade Runner. Blade Runner. Oh, yeah. poor Blade Runner. Man, they got screwed over. Everything got screwed over by E.T. I Damn know. Spielberg. <laughs> the Thing. I know. The Thing got screwed over. It made, made its money. Made its money later. Made its money 16 later. 16 weeks or something. Like it was in the theaters for so long. Yeah, it, uh, it dominated. Was going to see anything else. I know, completely dominated. It's a great movie. I love it's a great, it. It's one, uh, yeah. of my, one of my favorite movies. I can't wait to watch it with Leona. Yeah, Labyrinth. Or no, Dark Crystal, 82. A lot of like, I don't know, just that era and the way things looked and the glow and the hum of the, the ships. And it's wonder. It's just beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, so really, yeah, we, we, owe, we owe this movie so much. And then Nick Meyer, who wrote for and then also wrote and directed my my favorite, which is Six. Um, and I still want to do a podcast on that at some point. We probably will. But really set the tone and set the cadence for what it would be and is still is, you know. And you can watch Wrath of Khan. And it's crazy that it's 40 because you look at it and you're like, this still just looks so good. And it just really does. Looks, sounds great. Apparently, they use giant Ritter fans for the... Uh, said the alpha five stuff <laughs> to blow all the the wind and dust and they couldn't even like see or hear anything and people were like choking do you remember when when uh terrell uh like disintegrates that one of the uh the technicians on the uh on the the station and the guy goes you make yeah. that noise oh my god oh my horrifying god, so horrifying there's not horrifying a lot of special effects shots in that film and i think that's why it looks so good it's like they're not trying all of these. They're they're sticking with what works. They're they're taking what they have and just using that. There aren't these giant lavish. I mean, not that they weren't taking big swings, 
but it's like they're not trying these really outlandish like i don't know uh giant complex space battles or what, whatever happens in movies now where they just kind of go too far um yeah and I, I liked what you said earlier about the the limiting of it all um that it kept keeps it, it good it keeps it grounded and it it's keeps like, it good let's stay focused on telling a good story and not get sidetracked by you know uh, trappings and 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 and, and garnishments um, yeah yeah so um we have some really in, some really uh, great additions we have christy alley and it's cool to see another mm. another vulcan um, and we open up with the Kobayashi Maru, which uh, apparently in the earlier draft was in the middle of the movie, but they, Nick Meyer was like, "Are we going to put that in the beginning?" What a great way to open yeah, the, the impossible, the impossible mission. I don't believe in a no-win scenario that sets the kind of tonality for the whole thing, um, and how Kirk is able to bend the rules. He doesn't believe in a no-win. Um, we have Paul Winfield as Terrell, who's amazing. Uh, also, love him in Terminator One. As the police, the police oh, chief. The police captain, that's right. Yeah, yeah, he's amazing. He also comes back in the episode Darmok of TNG. Oh, yeah, right. Darmok and Jalad. Yeah, he's the other captain. So he has two big Star Trek accolades. And that's one of my favorite TNG episodes. What is the name of that race? I forget the... Oh, man. Yeah, uh... yeah I forget. Darn it. Okay, never mind. Uh, I can look it up. And then uh, Merritt, Merritt Buttrick as David, great as the, the father-son. Episode of the first season of Star Trek? Doesn't he play like a like a space drug addict or something? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he was on TNG. Yeah, he comes back. Uh, B.B. Besh as Carol, Carol Marcus, who's great. And then we have, uh, you know, the main cast, William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, DeForest Kelly, James Doohan, Walter Koenig, George Takei, and... The now late, we have to uh, say a word for Nichelle, who's no longer with us, Nichelle Nichols as Uhura, who's so, so great to see her up there on the big screen um, yeah. as Uhura. She's amazing and so sad about her. But she lived to be 89, and uh, what, a, what a good run. And what a, what a legacy. So. I'd be happy with 89. Yeah. <laughs> we say that now, though, you know. When I'm eight, ask me again when I'm 88. So apparently, uh, yeah, exactly. So I'll, uh, in 79 years, when you're 88, I will I'll follow up. Oh, thanks, Andy. Uh, Harv Bennett played the Battle Simulator computer voice. Um, he was really, he's really, uh, he's, him and Nick Meyer, I think, are the MVPs for, for this. Um, so grateful for what they did. And knowing how to keep it Star Trek, but also make it onto the big screen and make it more fun. Like what, like you said earlier, when you're watching it as a kid or you're watching an old show, like what do you really want to see? You want to yeah. see a dogfight between these ships and the Battle of the Wits. You know, uh, the episode Balance of Terror, I think, is one of the other great episodes of the show. Or one of the greatest episodes of any TV show, I think. Um, I'm biased There's as being a, few a massive that stand out like really good battles. They're just like There's so a few good. TOS that really stand out. Yeah, and just the pitting of the wits, you know, um, when I think it's at its best. And I love that you're, you're back on the bridge for that much. Um, if anything, sometimes in the, even the later movies, um, I'm just like, let's get back to the bridge, man. This is where yeah. this is where Star Trek is, is, on the bridge. Well, and having kind of like, having Kirstie Alley as the sort of would-be captain and having a seasoned captain there, and I, I think Kirk even says, I'm going to show you why things work on a starship. And she's watching him and in this like this crazy scenario. And and she's got all the rules in her head and she's super by the book. And she's watching him do everything outside the book. She's learning. She's like, oh, yeah, so not just about rules and regulations. And you have the Kobayashi Maru thing going, you know. Yeah, that's, that's great. It, that you're almost defeating yourself when you believe in the in the no win scenario. Yeah, I think you know. Unfortunately, at the end of the film, spoiler alert, uh, <laughs> is confronted with with what he considers a no win scenario. Right, saving his friend's life. I mean, that's almost the thing that you forget about Wrath of Khan is that there's that kind of supreme sacrifice at the end. Yeah. 
the needs of the many I, I or the one. Get a little, I still get a little misty. No, I know it's it's so powerful, man. Um, I can hardly even watch the scene anymore. It's it's like it, it's too much for me. Very emotional. Very emotional. It's very emotional. Um, and it holds up so well. And uh, you know, honestly, the shot, the shot that gets me is when Kirk looks over and he sees that Spock's chair is empty. On yeah. The bridge. And he's like, like oh, oh my god. You know, he just hasn't had a minute to look over. He hasn't had a minute to look behind him because it's been he's been so busy. <laughs> the opening, I know this isn't a search for Spock podcast, but the opening of the search for Spock is so lonely. It's yeah. Such, I, I mean, what does he say? He's like the enterprise feels like a house with all the children gone or something yeah, like that. Yeah, the empty nester. Oh vibe. my god. Yeah. And it's still all blown up from the battle. It's still like all damaged from the battle. Um, yeah, I know it's so beat up. It really, <laughs> it really is. Um, it really is a trilogy: two, three, and four. Yep, it really is. Um, yeah, and to get back to kind of the the kind of nucleus story wise of just a man who feels dated and out of place and wants his command back. And honestly, that scene, I, I tear up this whole movie. Speaking of tearing up, I just. I can hardly watch this movie anymore without like getting misty eyed. <laughs> when 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 uh, when uh, McCoy comes in the beginning, I think that's my favorite scene in the movie. Yeah. Um, to his apartment, and he's like, "Get your command Perfect. back!" Why are we treating it like a funeral? Why are we treating it like a funeral? <laughs> yeah, it's so great. Uh, and he brings he brings the whiskey over and gives him the glasses, um, which keep coming back into play all the way through yeah. four when he sells them for a hundred dollars. <laughs> Sells them to get money and sells them in San Francisco. Yeah, is, is that is that is that good? Is that good? Is that a lot of money? Um, but yeah, just like get your command back before you become part of this collection. So a man who's aging, and then the juxtaposition with a leader who's aging, who's been trapped on this rock, and the desire to want to lead his family off the rock, and then Kirk's desire to want to go back and lead his family, and then just pitting them against each other. Um, and just seeing how it plays out and, and the dynamic therein. And ah, like a, a guy who's literally 200 years old and a guy who's 50 now and how much that's messing with his head. Well, and um, at the end, when he sees what the Genesis device does and, and uh, Dr. Marcus asks him how he feels and he says he feels young again. And uh, that's, that's pretty great. Uh, pretty good stuff. So good, man. So yeah, I got to be in space and um, on was, screen. It was oh, yeah, no. I, ma I made it into the movie and yeah, it was it was a powerful experience and I still um, I can't believe um, yeah we we shot that uh, ten years ago now and the movie came out in 2013 in the summer and um, I think it's so fun and so great and I love Benedict Cumberbatch but. I just couldn't get over him as Khan and wish they had just made him another augmented figure. Yeah. It just, it drove me nuts. And then they did, he didn't look anything like Khan did before. Well, but I think Star Trek has a rich history of creating opportunities to do something different and then doing the same thing. <laughs> yeah. It's like, why would you create the Kelvin timeline Give yourself this unlimited, anything could happen. We've created a whole nother timeline. We can do whatever we want. Oh, let's do the same thing. Really? Like, yeah. why? I know. I thought- you've, you've shaked the bonds and then put the bonds back on. I know, it was really sad. It was really sad. And then, honestly, I think as a little bit of a bastardization of the, the sacrifice that Leonard Nimoy makes to Spock by flipping it and just having it be Kirk do it. I just and now all of a sudden Khan is this sympathetic pawn of the evil Federation. Like yeah, Khan is Khan's the bad guy. Like, what I are know. You doing? I know. See, I actually I liked that whole stuff with uh, Peter Peter Weller's character, and I I liked all those elements. But again, if they had just not made it Khan, and you could smell the fan service, it just. I, I like the whole idea of creating of creating a villain that was trying, was being manipulated. I mean, some people say Saddam why not Hussein. Just make was, him somebody else, but why? Right, yeah, like why Saddam Saddam Hussein was installed by by the Americans, and then when things went haywire, they they whacked him. And you know whether or not you subscribe to all that, 
But I like the, I like the idea of the again the military the price of the, using the military expansion, um, the the admiral that believes we have to be more warlike to to fight the Klingons or or whatever. I liked all that push and pull, and I thought a lot of the movie actually worked really well. But ultimately, I get yeah, just like you said, I I just can't get over doing it just the same thing again and just watching it. Oh, but um, we'll change but, it. We'll make it Kirk instead of Spock, and then we'll, you know, we'll we'll change it, and we'll even have Spock go, "Come on, come on!" Yeah, even yelling "Khan" out loud, it just was like, yeah. "Oh God!" Yeah, they they thought they thought by appealing to that, they would, you know, be like, "Oh, you know, Star Trek fans love all that. Let's 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 use that again, and and, and they'll love it." But they have to. It's like you got to remember that uh, you are going back to something that's so near and dear and, and to do yeah. it again and to do it again and, and just bastardize it that way it just it hurts you know well and don't you look do you remember how like it was supposed to be this big secret and i think they even yeah asked cumberbatch and he's like no i'm not con i'm just i'm john harrison or whatever his name was he's yeah like, john harrison you can't fool us we sniffed it how long did it take fans to sniff it out like oh yeah like two you seconds know what you're doing yeah, I remember before they even started filming, I remember asking my buddy, I was like, is Khan involved? Because they like released it, like like leaked online. And then he was like, no. No. <laughs> and I was like, damn it, they're doing Khan again? All right. But they're going to be better to come. Like it, like it already started being like, no, this is wrong. Like before I even saw a, a daily or a, a, a photo at all. Um, I had, a, there were a couple of things that I just, I found overdone about into darkness it, it uh, i the treatment of the klingons was a little weird yeah Bling, uh, blingons whatever they're supposed to be yeah the whole idea of like khan believing that what well, well, maybe i'm not remembering the film a hundred percent but weren't all of his people were inside photon torpedo tubes and then we blew all the four photon torpedoes up and Khan was like, ah, you killed all my people. And it's like, you didn't really think we killed all your people, did you? Like, that seemed that seemed strange. Um, right. And that then, was all handled. And then they wanted uh, they wanted Khan's blood, right? Yeah. And so it's like, why don't you just unfreeze another guy over there? And they have the same blood. Yeah, yeah you got you got two hundred <laughs> people. There were a couple um, of things. Where yeah, like, just like things like that. You're like, ah. They started, they started to be really, really smart and you're falling for this dumb trick with the photon tubes that we just pulled. Like, yeah, maybe you're not as smart as we thought you were. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It was I a scary, exciting movie. It had some great stuff. There's obviously the bleed over into Star Wars where it's like, OK, the Millennium Falcon like ship. Yeah, it even went when it flew and it went and it flipped over yeah, it did go through the crack. Yeah, exactly. No, I know, and I'll, I'll never forget seeing the theater and seeing myself up there on the big screen, and um, so much of it I liked. And I liked that Star Trek was like exploding onto the big screen, and it was picking up the summer money and the summer dollars. And this is summer town; we need summer dollars. But I ultimately thought that it uh, fell shy of the the first reboot, which I actually think is great. It's, um, it's a wonderful film. It's it a wonderful so film. Well it's a, it's a fantastic film, and I'm happy it exists. I think we owe we owe it just like we owe Wrath of Khan for keeping Star Trek alive. And and at that point we we didn't have any Trek, and that that was really all we had. So I still was like, it's still happening. It's a thing. You know, these big budget movies are getting greenlit. And the Kelvin um, timeline was so exciting, wasn't it? Yeah, like, it really like, was. Yeah, like anything's possible. And right, wipe, wiping the slate. Right. Yeah. So it's it's such a dual it's such a dual thing. I, I get such a sense of nostalgia talking about Into Darkness, but I ultimately, I guess my my overarching point being, and yours as well, I'm sure that you're just your love for two, your love for that old one, and just kind of using it again in a in a not creative way, in a, in a very kind of just selling out, essentially. Fan service can be such a, a, a slippery slope. You know, you want to give the people what you want, what they want. It's the first rule of show business. But at the same time, you sometimes they don't know what they want. So you have to like kind of, I don't know. I found Star Trek Beyond to be a, a 
far superior sequel. I agree. And, and it didn't, it didn't, uh, it was just a standalone adventure of yeah. the, the Enterprise, you know, like Beyond was super fun. That's, I, I thought was so good about it. They, like like we we're saying with one and two, how they reined it back in. It's about the crew working yeah. together. You, know, you got your, uh, granted the, the it was an away mission, but the ship crash landed, not ideal. <laughs> <laughs> but you have the ship, you have the guys on the ship, you have the guys on the planet and, you know, Scotty and, and Bones and, and they're all working together and, you know, meeting with some of the natives and, and collaborating with them and uh, on the planet. Um, and the dark figure from the Federation's past that comes back. Like, that's a... That's yeah, a that was much quote. more interesting. Yeah, yeah, it was. Much more, it, the DNA felt more Trek. Um, and I, I really did enjoy Beyond. Um, I thought there was still some, some, you know, moments like when Crick's on the motorcycle and stuff, it's still a big budget movie, you know, it's still, uh, they rein the budget in some, which I was happy to see. And, and but, I don't want, I don't want to sound like I'm shitting on Into Darkness because I enjoyed it very much. It just, yeah. I saw it three times in the theater. Um, I own it on Blu-ray. I, I have, uh, I have a copy of it. I have it in 3d as well. It's, it's a really fun 3d movie. I can imagine. Um, there's so much that I liked. I'll never forget when the Enterprise goes to warp and the, it rains down the warp trail, yeah. sprinkles. Good stuff. And I was like Good reaching stuff. out at the screen. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, I, I don't want to seem like I'm poo-pooing either. I, I think let's come at it from an angle of just we love Star Trek so much and we love Wrath of Khan so much. Um, and, and in the end, just... that's what it's all about is there was there was Star Trek on the big screen and there were people that knew the show and were fans of the show you can tell you know abrams is a fan of the show you can tell that there were there were competent people that made a movie with love i think they, i think it was done yeah. out of love um, yeah actually abrams apparently didn't really watch it much but he always thought it was cool and obviously wanted to be part it matters, of it man but he, he got it he, he got the nucleus sure. he got the idea of it and they nail it um they nailed star trek it's it feels like star trek I actually rank, I rank this first reboot really high in my uh, favorites of the, all the movies. Me too. Um, it, it's it's so good, you know, and um, and I'm glad that they happened. And I'm and then now we we're we're, we're looking back, kind of at a period of darkness, literal into darkness of where there was no Star Trek on the small screen, and now we're we're sitting comfortably in our. Uh, in our in our apartments, an embarrassment of riches. An embarrassment of riches. Where there's new Star Trek shows almost all the time. Uh, we you were coming over all every Thursday. We were just watching it. We were watching multiple series sometimes in the same night. That's pretty awesome. You know, we had Discovery overlapping with uh, Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks and Picard overlapping with Discovery. And I mean, I, you know, like embarrassment of riches. You nailed it. it it's it's so good. So. I honestly think we owe Wrath of Khan and we also owe the JJ movies for keeping the torch burning. Absolutely. So I would almost say Wrath of Khan, First Contact, and then maybe even Star Trek 2009, like would be my three favorite films. Um, I love that. Even though it's hard not to consider uh, Wrath of Khan, Search for Spock, Voyage Home, I almost think of that as one movie. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. It, it's a trilogy and the arc set up. Um, like we said, he sells the glasses that Bones gives him in two and four. Um, you know, the uh, there's so many things that there's so many beats that play out all the way through. Uh, Spock actually dying and being reborn, which yeah. apparently Nicholas Meyer, Nicholas Meyer didn't like that. He thought that was a cop out. Well, that's how you get, that's how you got Nimoy to come back. Yeah, that's how you get Nimoy to come back. And I liked how it wasn't just, I think it would have hurt more if it was just like, Spock's back, everybody. But he's like, kind of starts fresh. He has to kind of learn a lot of the things again. You get a lot of the things that were the dynamic of the show again in the movies. And how good is it in four when he, with the whales and he's swimming in the yeah. tank. and the, the humor in four with uh, Leonard Nimoy, who directed the movie. Um, and uh, I love four so much. I, I think well, it's and so he has funny. this moment. He has this kind of reflective moment where, where where Kirk is like, you know, we're talking about the extinction of humanity. Don't you have any feelings about that? And Spock's like, well, maybe I do. Like, yeah, I yeah, maybe, maybe I do. Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> right. It kind of buys them 
starting some of those beats over again with him trying to learn and be more human again because he literally was reborn and then of, of course the mind meld with bones and bones having to have spock's soul in him in his soul uh, and those two are always kind of been like frenemies you know yeah um so seeing that kind of odd couple play out it's very it's just it's great um and then i i mean i can't imagine i can't imagine star trek six without without uh without spock back oh so i i um as a, as a fan of star trek and spock i'm glad they brought him back and then seeing him again in the um in the jj reboot i thought that was brilliant ambassador spock was a whole nother era so you get this character who would have died but nothing nothing beats star trek with killing characters but then bringing them back and knowing right. how to do it well um i think they they validated really well it is Meyer said, oh, he felt like that was a cheat, a little bit of a, he's dead, oh, he's back. But, and I think that's why he ultimately didn't want to do three. He said, oh, I don't want to do another Star Trek because uh, I'm I'm ready. I felt like we did it and I'm ready to hand it off, which I think is great. You know, I respect uh, that very much. I do. Me too. I can understand that point of view very much so. Yeah. Let somebody Absolutely. else do it. I mean, if it if it has to be done, just let somebody else do it. Yeah, yeah. And then he came back to uh, co-write four with Leonard, and then he wrote and directed uh, six, which um, I actually I I think six is my favorite TOS movie. I know, I know you um, love it. I know. I, I, it's splitting hairs. You know, we talked about our rankings, and you know, uh, two is is a masterpiece. And obviously, you wouldn't have six if it weren't for the other ones. So wouldn't have anything of one for two so we owe we owe two so much and sitting at 40 years old it looks as good as ever in hd it sounds as good as ever um it's a masterpiece it's, it's a damn masterpiece I, I i enjoyed revisiting it so much andy thank you for the opportunity to watch Me too. It and to fall in love with those characters all over again same brother thank you for wanting to do this man all right well all right Live long. You as well.